Tonight we're going to talk about obstacles. Whenever you uh, are called of God and you pursue the work of God, you pursue a relationship with God, there's going to be obstacles. I don't think that anything that you do in your life that's worthwhile will go unchallenged. I heard a story earlier today about a runner who ran in the Summer, summer Olympics in Mexico. And uh, throughout the day, the daily events went on. You know, they held all the different races and stuff. And the lights had gone out in the stadium. The fans had gone home. And there were just a few remaining judges and some of the staff that was there. And as people looked down on the track with all the lights turned off and everybody gone, they saw a solitary figure running on the track. And... Uh, this image kind of got closer and closer to the finish line. And one of the judges was shocked, and so he ran down to the, to the track, and he said, what are you doing? Where did you come from? And it was a runner from one of the nations, and it seemingly hours had passed by, and he said to this judge, he said, my country didn't send me here to start a race. It sent me here to finish one. And even though he had obviously struggled and maybe stopped and threw up or whatever it was that he did. I don't know how you run those marathons anyway, but, uh, but he crossed the line. And, you know, it's been talked a lot, of, and I'm sure you guys have probably heard it before. It's not necessarily how you start the Christian life that really matters in the end. It's how you finish. And it, it indeed is a marathon. You're going to have to pace yourself. You're going to need the power of the Holy Spirit. And the goal is to finish well. Well, Moses has been called by God in Exodus chapter 5 and he's, he's expressed some, some what-ifs to God. Suppose they don't believe that you've appeared to me. Suppose this, suppose that. And we talked about those what-ifs last week. And a lot of us are good at the what-ifs. What if this happens? What if that happens? Suppose this. Well, Moses is going to have some of those concerns come to fruition. They're going to become reality in his life. And you're going to see that what Moses' expectation is that I think he expects that he's going to go to Pharaoh the first time he's going to say I come in the name of the Lord and Pharaoh's going to say oh well cool well I'll let the people go but it doesn't work out that way as a matter of fact God has already uh, decided that there are going to be ten plagues in Egypt and Moses is going to have to endure uh, many no's there's going to be many doors that get slammed in his face that's kind of how life is. It doesn't always work out the first time. It's not always easy. And notice in Exodus chapter 5 and afterward, Moses and Aaron came and said to Pharaoh, now this is going to be the first encounter that they have face to face. But before we look at that encounter, notice that in your Bible, if you have the New American Standard, it says afterward. And the question is, well, after what? Well, by way of reminder, Moses, remember, has responded to the call of God He's expressed many fears. God has tried to supplant those fears finally by telling him that Aaron, his brother, is going to be the mouthpiece. He's going to be with him. He's going to help him. God tells uh, Moses in Exodus 4.19, if you look right there, now the Lord said to Moses and Midian, go back to Egypt for all the men who were seeking your life are dead. The time has come. Notice in verse 29, Moses and Aaron went. They are in Egypt now. They assembled all the elders of the sons of Israel. They perform the signs in verse 30 that the Lord's given them to perform. And notice in verse 31, the people believe. 
when they heard the Lord was concerned about the sons of Israel and that he had seen their affliction and they bowed low and worshiped. Let's pray for a second. Father, before we jump in any further, we ask your blessing upon this Bible study. Open our hearts to your spirit. Open our hearts to your word. Help us to make the application that you'd have us to make in Jesus' name. Amen. So the moment has come. Moses and Aaron have assembled the uh, elders of Israel. The people have seen the signs. The staff is probably thrown down. It turns into a snake. Uh, maybe they showed the leprosy trick again. Maybe Moses had enough courage to see if his hand would turn back and be healed again. But whatever's happened here, the people believe. And notice they bow down, Exodus 4.31, and they worship the Lord. And so Moses and Aaron now come to Pharaoh. This is their mission. The next step is to go to Pharaoh and tell him what the Lord says. So they go. And you have to remember, this is, this is an ancient ruler that is one of the most powerful men in the world. This is a man who controls vast numbers of people, resources. He's probably got a whole enclave within his court. To approach Pharaoh is a pretty radical thing. You're not just approaching anybody. It would be like going into the Oval Office. It would be something radical. And here is Moses and Aaron. They've been commissioned by God. And so they come to Pharaoh and they say, Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, Let my people go that they may celebrate a feast to me in the wilderness. Now that word celebrate is interesting because the word celebrate has to do with a sacred procession but it has a root idea of being giddy. And, you know, whenever you celebrate something, you think about celebrating a birthday, celebrating something fun, and you think of happiness or giddiness. Well, that's some of the idea of this word here. God says, my people have been in affliction under you. They've been in bondage under the taskmaster. I want them released. I want them in the wilderness to celebrate unto me. And I love the times of celebration in church. When we do those celebration songs, don't you love Eric? Eric Patterson, man, does he have that ability to get you into that celebration mood. And so here he says, I want them to go. And the King James even says this word could be uh, celebrate or dance or observe a festival. The Lord wants his people free to celebrate. I don't know how much celebrating you do in your life, but it's something that we ought to do. We ought to celebrate our salvation. We ought to celebrate the goodness of God. And... uh, the, the people in the world who do celebrations, nobody should be better at it than Christians because we have tons to celebrate. We have tons to look forward to. Remember the lady who was getting ready to die. She had been battling a disease and she was making her own arrangements for her uh, funeral service, her memorial service. And she said, the pastor, you know, come on over, pastor, I want to talk to you about my arrangements. So he comes over. And she tells him the music that she wants played and the things that she wants mentioned about her life. And she said, and oh, by the way, I want to be buried with a fork in my hand. He said, what? Why do you want a fork in your hand? She said, well, you know all those church potlucks we did. Everybody said, save your fork because dessert was always coming. You know how the potlucks are. <laughs> save your fork, right? And so she wanted that fork in her casket to remind her that the best was yet to come. And I think that's That's what it's like for us as believers. No matter what we face now, the best is yet to come. And we should celebrate. And Pharaoh said, Who is the Lord, verse 2, that I should obey his voice to let Israel go? I do not know the Lord. And besides, I will not let Israel go. 
Now you could imagine that maybe at this point Moses' heart sinks. What? God's instructed me to come. I thought all I have to do is speak in the name of the Lord and this guy's going to cower. God's shown me the power. Perhaps Pharaoh will cower, but no, it's not happening. Two things Pharaoh says. Who is the Lord that I should obey him? Now remember who Pharaoh is. Pharaoh is a title... One of the study Bibles says, given to the, king of the kings of Egypt, an ancient pharaoh had absolute power and during his reign he was considered a god who owned the lands and the people. He was also the high priest of all the religions in Egypt. You're coming to the man who's considered a god and saying, thus says the Lord? Who are you? And who is this god that you're coming to me with? that I should obey his voice. I'm the one that says, thus says Pharaoh. You don't say that to me. Who do you think you are? Oh, and by the way, it's interesting to note that in Egyptian thought, a shepherd was an abomination to them. As a matter of fact, if you want to write this down in your notes, write down Genesis 46, 34. It says that every shepherd is loathsome to the Egyptians. Now, you say, well, why do you mention that, Pastor Michael? Because what is Moses? He has become a shepherd. Every shepherd is a loathsome thing to the Egyptians. Now, not only does this guy come in and command Pharaoh, but he's a shepherd. They caused, uh, if you look at the account in Genesis, Joseph tells his relatives to tell Pharaoh that they are Shepherds, so that they can live out in Goshen, away from the Pharaoh. That's what's going on here. And so Moses is a shepherd. He's a man to the Pharaoh who's a loathsome person. And now he's instructing him. He's telling him, Thus says the Lord. And so he says, Well, who is the Lord that I should obey his voice? I don't think he's saying he doesn't know about the Hebrew God. I think he's saying, You know what? I don't care. I'm not going to obey him. I'm a God, didn't you know? Now, God is going to show Pharaoh exactly who he is. And that's about to come. And if you want to just flip ahead, let me show you a preview of coming attractions. And I want to just undergird this by saying to you, the biggest obstacle, we're talking about obstacles, that Pharaoh had in his life was spelled P-R-I-D-E. It's called pride. Pharaoh is a type of Satan. Why did Satan fall? Because in Isaiah 14, he made five I will statements. I will do this. I will ascend above the stars of God. And God says, you're going to go down, buddy. There's no one like God. Now, I want you to notice in Exodus chapter 9, speaking of Pharaoh, you know, Pharaoh says, who is the Lord? I don't know who this God. I'm not going to obey his voice. Exodus 9, 27, following the plague of the hail. It says in Exodus 9:27, then Pharaoh sent for Moses and Aaron and said to them, I have sinned this time. The Lord is the righteous one and I and my people are the wicked ones. Wow. Talk about just coming clean, right? Oh, I've blown it this time. Get rid of the hail, Moses. Notice what he says. Make supplication to the Lord for there has been enough of God's thunder and hail and I will let you go and you shall stay no longer. Now, he didn't let him go after that. 
But he said, man, I really blew it this time. Turn over to Exodus chapter 12, talking about God making it clear to Pharaoh exactly who he is. Exodus chapter 12, look at verse 29. Now this is in the context of the Passover. And it says in verse 29, Now it came about at midnight that the Lord struck all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, from the firstborn of Pharaoh who sat on his throne to the firstborn of the captive who was in the dungeon, and all the firstborn of cattle. And Pharaoh arose in the night, he and all his servants and all the Egyptians. And there was a great cry in Egypt, for there was no home where there was not someone dead. Talk about a huge responsibility that he must have felt. Then he called for Moses and he called for Moses and Aaron at night and said, "Rise up, get out from among my people, both you and the sons of Israel, and go and worship the Lord as you have said. Take both your flocks and your herds as you have said and go and oh by the way, and bless me also." And the Egyptians urged the people, "Send them out of the land in haste, for they said, "We shall all be dead." Now that's what's coming. But right now I want you to see that as the camera reels back a little bit, Pharaoh is being stubborn. Who is the Lord? What are you doing coming in here and commanding me? Pride. It will be one of the biggest obstacles in your life. Let me tell you, many have fallen because of pride. Many have fallen in government positions, in companies, and even, yes, in the ministry. Pride is a killer. It caused one of the archangels of heaven to fall and become Satan, and it can ruin our lives. And we all know how pride works, don't we? Sometimes it's wanting that, that one thing that we know we should say, but we don't want to say it because our pride won't let us. Pride is a big stumbling block. Well, then they said, the God of the Hebrews back in uh, Exodus 5 verse 3, has met with us and they say please let us go three, three days journey into the wilderness that we may sacrifice to the Lord our God lest he fall upon us with pestilence or with sword they say look Pharaoh please hear what we're saying Moses has seen this God he's a consuming fire we need to obey him and things get a little bit more desperate now but the king of Egypt said to them Moses and Aaron, why do you draw the people away from their work? Get back to your labors. Now, wait a minute. Draw them away from their work? I thought they were building Pharaoh's cities. I thought they were slaves in Egypt. Why are you pulling away the people from their work, Moses and Aaron? Get away with these trifles. Let them get back to their labors. They don't need to go worship the Lord. Let them get back to work. You're drawing them away. Well, that was precisely what the Exodus was all about, to draw them out of Egypt. But you know what? Oftentimes when we are uh, in a position where we know we should worship, we get drawn away, don't we? But in this case, Pharaoh represents Satan and he wants the people to get back to work, get back to the taskmaster, get back to making the bricks for Egypt. You're wasting my time. And Pharaoh said, look, the people of the land are now many and you would have them cease from their labors? How dare you, Moses and Aaron? How dare you want to deliver them from slavery and from my taskmasters? That's wrong! <laughs> so the same day Pharaoh commanded the taskmasters over the people and their foreman saying, you are no longer to give the people straw to make bricks as previously, 
Let them go and gather straw for themselves. Now the Hebrews needed straw to make their bricks. These were sun-dried bricks. It would help kind of hold them together. Well, now what basically what Pharaoh is doing is saying, look, they can't reduce the quota of bricks at all, so on their free time, they go, need to go gather straw. See, they're kind of lazy people. They're not busy enough. They're not getting whipped enough with the whip of the taskmaster. So let them go collect straw at night. That'll keep them busy. You see, that is one of Satan's tactics with us as well. It's to keep us so consumed with work. Remember, when you see Pharaoh, he's a type of Satan. And Satan loves to distract people with activities from the morning until late at night to not, never focus on eternal things, to never focus on the Lord. But he says, the quota of bricks, verse 8, which they were making previously, you shall impose on them. You are not to reduce any of it because notice this, they are lazy. Therefore they cry out, let us go and sacrifice to our God. Let us go. I think this is the way he said it. They cry out, let us go and sacrifice to our God. Bunch of whiners. How dare them? See, they're lazy. They're, the New King James says they're idle people. They're whiny they use this worship excuse because they're lazy. They don't want to work. Have you ever heard that before? <laughs> oh yeah, right. You're going to church. Yeah, right. You go to a Bible study on Friday night. Give me a break. Well, let the labor be heavier, he says, on the men. And let them work at it that they may pay no attention, notice this, to false words. What is Pharaoh saying? He's saying what Moses and Aaron are telling the people is a lie. Hey, has Satan ever done that in the past? Has he ever questioned God's word in the past? Oh, you remember way back in Genesis chapter 3, did God really say? No, you won't die if you eat that fruit. Your eyes will be open. You'll be like a God. Did Adam and Eve die at that point? Yes, they did. How did they die? Spiritually. They were separated from God. Do you know the root word for death means separation? That's the word. When you die physically, it's your soul separated from your body. And so when they ate of what God forbade them to eat, they died spiritually. They were separated from God. Did they die? Yes. Did Satan lie? Yes. And he caused sin and the curse and death to come into this world. Talk about a radical uh, consequence. So here you have... This question, Pharaoh saying, hey, these are false words. So the taskmasters of the people and their foremen went out and spoke to the people. Thus says Pharaoh. Now remember earlier, the, Moses and Aaron came in with thus says the Lord. Well now, contrast, thus says Pharaoh. I'm not going to give you any straw. You go, notice instead of going to worship your God, you go and get straw for yourselves wherever you can find it, but none of your labor will be reduced. You see, the Pharaoh wants to put a heavy burden on the people. He wants to weight them down with work. And so the people scattered through all the land of Egypt to gather stubble for straw, anything that they could get. And the taskmasters, notice, pressed them, saying, complete your, your work quota, your daily amount, just, when you had, just as when you had the straw. And moreover, the foremen of the sons of Israel, whom Pharaoh's taskmasters had set over them, were beaten and were asked, why have you not completed your required amount either yesterday, yesterday or today in making brick as previously? 
And then the foreman of the sons of Israel came and cried out to Pharaoh saying, Why do you deal with us this way? Why do you deal this way with your servants? I want you to notice who they cried out to. They weren't crying out to God in this situation. They're crying out to Pharaoh. Hey, what's going on? We're, we're the guys that help you out. Now, these are Hebrew people, but they're still over the people. And they're getting beat up now. Pharaoh, they're hitting us. What's going on? Why this problem? There's no straw, verse 16, given to your servants. Yet they keep saying to us, make bricks. And behold, your servants are being beaten. But it is the fault of your own people. But he said, you are lazy. <laughs> Notice Pharaoh. Very lazy. Therefore you say, let us go and sacrifice to the Lord. Notice this. Pharaoh saying, hey, you're lazy people. Stop with the whining. I've had enough of it. So go now and work. For you shall be given no straw, yet you must deliver the quota of bricks. And the foreman of the sons of Israel saw they were in trouble. <laughs> Can you imagine being one of these dudes? Oh, man, we can't find this straw. We're not going to meet this guy's demands, and I'm paying the price with my back. Now, if you're a Hebrew, and you heard that Moses and Aaron were going to talk to Pharaoh, and there's talk that you've been delivered, and you're going you're gonna to boogie out of Egypt, you might be thinking to yourself, hey, I wonder how that meeting went. You might be having dinner with your friends. What, how do you think Moses and Aaron did with old Pharaoh? Well, after you went back to the brick pits and you had a few scars on your back, you know who you'd be waiting for to talk to? Moses and Aaron. Excuse me. You guys have told us the Lord's with you. You showed us the signs. You said you're going to have this meeting, this powwow with the big cheese to get us out of here. Well, things are worse. I'd be waiting to talk to Moses and Aaron. See, they're in trouble because they're told you cannot reduce the amount of daily bricks. And when they left Pharaoh's presence, we'll notice they met Moses and Aaron as they were waiting for them. And they said to them, May the Lord look upon you and judge you, for you have made us odious in Pharaoh's sight and the sight of his servants to put a sword in their hand to kill us. What did you say to this guy? I thought we were leaving. And now they're beating us up. We're odious in the Pharaoh's sight. Well, wait a minute. If you're sitting there and you're Moses, the first thing I would say, well, what were you in his sight before? You're a slave. Come on. Get some proper perspective here. You're in slavery. But you see, the obstacles are coming. Things are not going too well for Moses. Now you wonder what the great spiritual giant's reaction to this will be. And you wonder sometimes, boy, can I learn lessons from the Bible? Are all these guys, did they go to bed with a cape on? You know, you think about those spiritual giants. Boy, I wonder what Moses will do when he's confronted. And Moses returned to the Lord, verse 22, and said, Oh, Lord, why? See that word in your Bible? You might want to underline that word. Oh, Lord, why? Why hast thou brought harm to this people? Why did you ever send me? Don't you love that? Isn't that just like us? <laughs> oh, we don't want to admit it tonight. But we all suffer from why-itis, right? Why? Why? It's the normal question that we ask. And Moses asked it. Look, I had... If we could read it in between the lines, I had reservations when we started this whole thing. I told you I wasn't the man. 
I went into them. I shared your words. Now I got these people upset with me. We're, we're not leaving. What's going on? Why? Why did you ever send me? I think sometimes if you were to sit down with a pastor or a missionary, they've probably said that before. Why did you give me this job? I don't know what to do, you know. And I bet you may have said that before. <laughs> I don't know what to do with these children, right? Whatever it might be. Why? We've all gone through those times before. But I want you to notice there's an undercurrent here. You know, you remember the Pharaoh's a type of Satan? The first thing is he wants to press the people with work. He wants to keep them busy. He wants to press on them more and put more burdens on them. And now what happens? Now there's division in the camp. Hey, Moses, you were supposed to do this and you were supposed to, and it's not working out. We're getting beat up. What's going on? Oh, this has never happened in the church. I know. But you know what? One of Satan's tactics is to divide. A household divided cannot stand. And you know, one of the things that we need to not be ignorant of, 2 Corinthians 2.11, is we cannot be ignorant of Satan's schemes. Not only does he try to divide relationships and churches, but marriages and so many other things. He tries to get people at odds with each other, thinking the worst of each other. And this is precisely what's going on. You put a sword in their hand to kill us. You've made us odious in Pharaoh's sight. You've, you've caused this problem, Moses. Moses says, Lord, why'd you send me? Ever since I came to Pharaoh to speak in thy name, he has done harm to this people. And thou has not delivered thy people at all. See, Moses saying, why are you doing this to me? I don't get it. Now, one of the things that I want to point out to you is earlier on, God said something key to Moses. And it's found in the previous chapter. Look at Exodus 4.21 for a second. Exodus 4.21. Now, this is part of that commissioning process. The Lord said to Moses, when you go back to Egypt, see that you perform before Pharaoh all the wonders which I have put in your power. But I, notice this, will harden his heart so that he will not let the people go. Then you shall say to Pharaoh, Thus says the Lord, Israel is my son, my firstborn. So I said to you, Let my son go that he may serve you, but you have refused to let him go. Behold, I will kill your son, your firstborn. Now that's in the commissioning process. What did God tell Moses was going to happen when he went to Pharaoh? What did he tell him? He said he's going to refuse to let the people go. Moses went one time to the Pharaoh. The Pharaoh said exactly what God said he was going to say. No, I won't let him go. And what did Moses do? He questioned God. Why? Did he forget what God said? Did, was he just listening with one ear? Notice in verse 23 in chapter 4, so I said to you, let my son go that he may serve me, but you have refused to let him go. Behold, I will kill your son, your firstborn. By the way, which plague is that? Which plague is that? Number 10. That is the last plague that finally causes 
Pharaoh to let the people go. What should Moses have known going into this whole deal? That until he gets to this point and asks and says this and speaks this judgment, they're not going. But see, Moses was a little head of, ahead of God. He wanted things to move quicker. One meeting, bam, it's over. Close the deal, we're out, we're going. Pack your bags, we're leaving, baby. Right? Oh, we never do that, though. We don't, we don't expect things to happen on a quick timetable. I always laugh, you know, when I'm in the drive-thru, they never should have put that clock in the drive-thru. You know that clock? Because once it gets past two minutes, I start asking questions. What's going on in there, you know? Did they go to Mexico to get that burrito? You know, whatever. Things need to happen quick. We're in that quick generation, microwave, you know. It's fast. God says, look, I got a plan here. There are going to be 10 steps to this plan. And he's not going to let you guys go until I'm done. I'm going to show all my wonders. You can check out Exodus 11 later. Well, as the plan unfolds, there's a great cry in Egypt. And the firstborn in Egypt does die. And finally, Pharaoh releases the people. But it wasn't going to happen until that 10th plague came. You may be dealing with something tonight. You may be facing some obstacles and you may be thinking, when is it going to happen? You know what? I'm on number five, whatever your list might be. Obstacle after obstacle. When are we going to have a breakthrough? When? And you know what? Why and when questions are tough ones. But we know as we have walked with the Lord that His timing is perfect. That He's never early and He's never late. He's just on time. The problem we have is that it's His time. It's not our time. I like people working according to my time. Let's synchronize, right? <laughs> can we get in step? So, Lord, can I bring you up on current events? If you didn't know this is happening, this is happening. What are you doing? <laughs> Why? When? And the Lord says, trust me. You're my spokesperson. You're supposed to trust me. I told you it's not going to happen until you speak this judgment. He's not going to let you guys go. Hold on. Now, you know what happens later? As Moses walks through Egypt after these plagues have happened, everybody in Egypt looks at Moses and says, he's a cool guy. Now, I'm paraphrasing, but there's great respect all over Egypt for Moses. After a few of the plagues, they say, can I check out your staff, man? You're just a, you're a bad man, right? He's got all this respect. All this power behind him. And people in Egypt go, whoa, there he is. There's that guy that, you know, he brings hail and th darkness, things happen. Pharaoh, who's the Lord that I should serve him? I don't know who he is. I'm Pharaoh. Thus says Pharaoh. After a while, Pharaoh's going to say, mm, he's God. Remember the great scene in the movie, The Ten Commandments. I love it. Yul Brenner. Well, finally, the army goes and they pursue the uh, Israelis and God's opened up the Red Sea. And so Pharaoh returns to his throne, you remember? And the wife had been saying, I want to see his blood on your sword. You kill him. He killed our son. So he goes back and he's going to kill her. 
because <laughs> Pharaoh's had a really bad week, you know. <laughs> That's it. <laughs> it's time to take it out on the wife, you know. She says, before you strike, let me see his blood on your sword. He sits down on the throne, drops the sword, and he says, his God is God. I'm not a God. These things we worship in Egypt, the flies, the frogs, the Nile River, they're not God. God, every one of the uh, plagues you're about to see in this book are all direct attacks on the false gods of Egypt. They're not God. I'm not God. He's God. I've blown it this time. You see, tonight, there are many people who are going to give you many messages about life. Oh, this is where you can find life. This is the cool thing. This is happening. But ultimately, the God of the Bible is God. And he's the one who can deliver our lives. Sometimes when you sign up for his service, you know, you, get, you become a believer and you think, first time I do this, it should work. Not necessarily. It's a process. God sanctifies us over time. He l allows things to go on in our lives. I can't explain everything. I don't know why. He doesn't work according to Michael Lance's plan. I can tell you that. I have a lot of experience. He works his own way. He says, trust me. In the end, it'll work out. He knows best. Sometimes when we're in the midst of the, the obstacles, we wonder why, when, how. You know what? Just trust in him. Well, Father, tonight, as we have gathered in your name, we thank you for the lessons in the book of Exodus. We thank you that we see the humanity of Bible characters. They're much like us. They've made mistakes. They've blown it. They've struggled. They've even struggled with their faith. And, and that can happen for us tonight. We admit it, that sometimes we have a tough time. Sometimes we can't figure out a situation. Sometimes we, we don't know what you're doing. We see obstacles. But in the end, Lord, we know that you will triumph. And we need to trust in you. You tell us in the Psalms that we can cast every burden to you, Father. You tell us in the New Testament that we can place every anxiety upon you because you care for us. You tell us that when we face the obstacles, that we don't have to fret, that we can continue to look to you and know that you're working out your plan, that you will work all things together for good to those who love you, to those who are called according to your purpose. Thank you, Father, that you love us. And thank you that despite our questions and doubts and even apprehension sometimes about stepping into ministry, that you still put up with us and you love us and you want to lead us out of Egypt and you want to show us a good and spacious land that flows with milk and honey. You want to show us the life of the Spirit, what it means to put the flesh in that low place it deserves and elevate the things of the Spirit of God. And tonight, Father... That's what we desperately need. We need to trust in you. We need to see your mighty wonders. And we need to wait upon your perfect timing, Father. As we've shared up upon uh, many testimonies, uh, we've heard one common theme, that God is faithful. That you love us and that you have a great and awesome plan. And even though we don't understand all of the ins and outs of that, God, we, we understand that you are good and loving and just and faithful. So tonight, for your precious saints, I just pray that you'll encourage them in the Holy Spirit. I pray that your love will be real and tangi 
tangible for them tonight. I pray, Father, that um, they will rest in you and then trust in you for all the things that they don't understand. And as we continue our studies through, the, through Exodus, that we'll see the triumphs and we'll also see the, the problems that are so much like the problems that we face. Father, if there's anyone here tonight who doesn't know you, my prayer is that you will make yourself known to them, that you'll share with them in their hearts the good news of the gospel, that even though we have sinned against you and we've broken your law, you loved us so much that you sent your son Jesus Christ to die on the cross, to pay the penalty for our sin. He lived the perfect life that we could never live and then he died on the cross to set us free to deliver us from the bondage of the world and the taskmaster and the oppression of Satan and to lift us out of that life and bring us into a rich life flowing with the power of the Holy Spirit. So Father, tonight, anybody who needs to reach out their hearts to you, I just pray that you'll come in and flood their lives and help them to believe on you and trust in you tonight. Father, for the rest of us who are already Christians, I just pray that you'll encourage us in the Holy Spirit as we have a chance to pray here for a second together, I pray that you'll encourage us and help us to press on towards the goal, the upward call. In Christ Jesus' name we pray. Amen.